everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. Anne-Cherie and Louise Gramahu were told that the world didn't need another cookie company. But nevertheless, they persevered and have found success with their brand, Wonder Kits. On today's episode, they described how they went from Hans's mother's kitchen in Guatemala all the way to exploding onto the scene here in Austin, Texas, and becoming media and celebrity darlings along the way. So what did they learn about brand building, storytelling, and succeeding in America? Find out on today's episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning at business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Louise, are you in a cookie factory? Where are you? Yes, I'm in the kitchen right now. That looks legit back there. Yeah. All right. Now that I cleared that up, I had to make sure. So from the story before this episode started, I heard about, you know, you guys meeting and connecting on Tinder, having a very sweet love story. I want to fast forward to Guatemala and here actually, you know, start at that point in your guys' lives of where were you and why did you decide to start a company in Guatemala? Well, the company actually started... In my mom's kitchen, uh, at that point, I haven't met Louis because like 10 years ago. Okay. And I was trying to recapture the traditions, the holiday traditions from when I was a kid because, you know, my mom was the type who really didn't like to go out. She had, she had four kids in six years. So it was a lot to go out with kids in December. And she, lo- she loved to just stay home and bake. She, my mom probably has 2,000 cookbooks in her house. So her thing was we would do all of our Christmas shopping and things early in the month. And then we would like the second half of the month, we were like at home making cookies. That was her thing. And when you grow up, my siblings and I, I'm the, I'm the eldest, like you go to school, you get a job. So it's not the same. And I had all of these great times. So I figured, okay, why don't I 
bake a ton of cookies. I'm going to make 24 cookies, one for each day of the advent. I think I ended up at 18, I'm not sure. And I ended up with a thousand cookies I needed to figure out what to do with. So that those were my gift that year. And people were like, oh, this is great. Uh, you should tell them they're very good. And the first was not serious and kind of a side thing. And then I figured out, okay, this is the right, this is the right thing for me to do. But it really took shape uh, when we did it. But the first was like just me struggling to get it together. It was a lot. It was very overwhelming. I would not recommend doing like founding a company by yourself or building a company by yourself because it's really a struggle. And actually, I was about to, I was about to give up when I met Luis, like a few months after I met Luis, and I was like really having a hard time with it. And then that's when he joined, and he's like, I, I can help you. And he helped, he came like helping, like I can like remove some of the burden of you. And with time, like he really became an integral part of it. So this whole the way the brand is and looks and feels has a lot to do with what we share as a couple and as a family and about like our values, the things that we enjoy, like the colors, this childlike, if you will, sense of enjoyment, of joy, and all of those, all of those things. And, and that was one of the things that we had in common. Mm, I love that. Okay. So how long were you being a solo founder before you met Louise? I think you asked. Five years from the very first, from the very start. So that would be like three years, three years, like actually making a job out of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then so Louise, when you met Hans, what was your first thought when you're hearing about, you know, cookies and the business model? Like, what did you think that you could jump in and help with? And were you a little nervous about dating and helping in the business world? No, actually it, it, it happened very organically, I would say. So because I, I, I was doing photography at the moment, so I had more like flexible time, you could say. And I, I had the chance to help him out. And it started off as a consultant, you can say, just running some HR stuff. And I, I was doing some sales. I did some marketing stuff for him. And when I started getting more involved, like, I, I think that when, we're real, when we both realized that I was very involved, it just happened. So we didn't force anything. I was very respectful that it was his business from start. And then when, when he was ready to give up, I was like, dude, like you have an amazing product. You have something here that we can work with. And, and it's something that we cannot let just die. So let's just dive in and let's start uh, picking the like the pieces and let's let's build something bigger and that's what we did and it was we have something that really helped and i think that that's the key here is that we have very opposite qualities it's very opposite so we also respect the decisions on each area that everybody's taking here so we made it very clear from the beginning which were our limits and so yeah so from here to here I make the last call from here to here. You make the last call and we respect that. And that, that was like a key moment on our story on working together. Mm, yeah. You always hear when, you know, you have two co-founders who have the same skill sets two kind of alphas, yes. you know, going at it and wondering, oh, why didn't that work? Yeah. It makes so much sense when you find someone who's like complimentary to you, but you can also say, this is my space. This one's yours. And if we're in any kind of standoff, like this is my area that I make a final call on. Super helpful because you hear so many times when, yeah, co-founder relationships don't work out because, you know, how similar they are. 
So how would you describe the Wonder Kicks brand today? And has it evolved since when you, you know, started it out? We always say that back in Guatemala, we had the in the closet version of Wonder Kicks. Uh-huh. We always knew, like back in Guatemala, we we felt like something was missing. We didn't understand what was it. And we were not entirely happy with the brand. We, we were fine with it. But when we moved here, like after a year and a half, an employee told us, it's like, have you realized that you have a very queer brand? And we were like, no. And it's like, guys, you have a dinosaur with a tutu. You have a disco ball. You have a pink box. Like everything is expressing joy and colorful. And we were like, actually, I think that you're right. And it was very beautiful to see it evolving organically again. Like everything with us, it has been very organic. And it was very beautiful to to see that also the brand uh, was developing by itself. We didn't force anything. And it it, it was just the two of us expressing through our brand. And that was something beautiful to see, to see it grow. Wow. And you essentially had to kind of start over when you came to the U.S., right? I mean, I'm guessing there wasn't many customers that were transferable. It was kind of like starting all over again. We started over again. Like we sold everything and we came. Like we brought like two suitcases to our doctor. Like I think there's a picture rolling around someone at our first desk, which was a box. <laughs> a box. So yeah, it was starting over. So we had a good idea. Uh, and we had a good idea. We did come to Austin a few times to check out the market, like what was being offered. But what we were trying to do back then was very different to what we ended up doing because we never thought that we were going to have any commerce But yeah, it was like starting again. So we did the farmer's markets religiously for over a year, like not missing a single one. Because what we found was that other than, yeah, we needed like the sales to make a living. It was really the way we had a a discussion for Wondertex. It was the way because then then we got to have like good conversations with people every single day. We were talking to people what they liked, what they didn't like, like stuff like we didn't know what a sneaker rule was, like we had no idea. And we are people kept asking about them, like, oh, okay, we need to figure out what a snickerdoodle is and make them because people are crazy about them and that type of thing. So it took a while. It took a while. At the, at, on the other side, like starting a business, I think it's kind of like when you start dating someone new, like with all of this excitement and people feel that way as well about you. Like, oh, this is a new thing. So there's this window. So you have a good opportunity to make that first impression and you are not part of the landscape, but you are like a shiny new thing. I think we did a good job with that. A lot of bubbles and a lot of gelling at the front of market. <laughs> so when did you know you wanted to go the e-commerce route? I mean, was there someone who kind of nudged you or why were you like, we need to do this? I mean, I'm sure in hindsight, you're like, yeah, of course. But yeah, what was the nudge? Yeah, no, that, that was funny because so we were doing the farmer's markets and we were aiming to go to retail. We were going on a very good path. March of 2020, we had the opportunity to have a pop-up store for South by Southwest right in front of the convention center. So we had 25,000 cookies ready to get baked. And it turned out that the Friday before South by started, the world was declaring a pandemic and everything got canceled. So we were like, okay, probably they're going to cancel farmer's markets too because uh, you cannot have people together. Both of our backgrounds are in marketing. I used to work for Beiersdorf, Hans used to work for Procter & Gamble. So we developed this very cute campaign in a couple hours 
uh, we started promoting the cookies and asking for help from people in our social media and people from the farmer's market and the community in Austin is very, very helpful. And they're very open to, to just hear your story and I'll just help you out. So people started buying them for their moms or hey, have a little independent store. I'll get a couple boxes. So by Sunday, we got a hundred orders in. We had a Squarespace website. We've never thought about e-commerce at all. And we went to bed that Sunday and we woke up to 700 orders because BC Phillips, the actress, she tweeted about our story and orders started coming in. She ordered like $400 uh, worth of cookies for her and her friends. She started talking about it in social media. So we woke up to an e-commerce business and thankfully uh, Hans, he loves to do research and he started because the Squarespace uh, website was not going to make it. We didn't know what Shopify was. Yeah. So, and then then he started doing research. And in a couple of weeks, he came up with the, with, with the new website. I did the photos. And because of the, of, we went viral. And at the end, instead of 25,000 cookies in three weeks, we sold 35,000 cookies. Nice. That's how we became an e-commerce business. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm sure many people are like, I want that version of my start to a company. <laughs> so, I, uh, <laughs> careful what you wish for. <laughs> Just to give you an idea for us, we never thought about an e-commerce business because back in Guatemala, we don't even have a post office. So we don't mm -hmm. have it in our brains or our blood. So we yeah. had to learn everything from scratch. Like, wow. oh, you need to get a, uh, you need to get an account with UPS or with FedEx because you need to ship this yeah. and you need special boxes to ship the, the cookies. So, so we, we learned very fast, but, but it was an adventure. It was rough. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing story that you guys definitely had to leapfrog a lot of different things to get to the e-commerce world without having much knowledge in between. So super yeah. impressive. Yeah. I mean, after that experience, did you start thinking about influencers in a different way? I mean, just the impact of one person, you know, kind of starting it. Did you go into the company being like, obviously, this could be the way to go viral? Or what approach did you take to acquire new customers? Actually, like at that point, one of the, one of the things that happened there was that it was a mix of like the right person at the right time in the right place. So when we, uh, after that, like uh, the, after that initial wave started, like we started doing, we really took advantage of that. The fact that a lot of big advertisers have removed themselves from Facebook because they, no one knew what was happening. Remember, like those were small the pandemic. So that gave us a little bit of a story because we were absolutely self-funded. Like we really started out of nothing. So influencer took a while, for, took a while for us like to really understand them. What we didn't understand very quickly because we got like, at first we thought it, we thought it was a prank. Uh, because someone called, oh, I'm calling from the Washington Post. The Wall Street Post, Journal. The Wall Street Journal. And we're like, is this a joke? And it had been a very rough week. So we're like, is this a joke? And no, no, it was actually it was the actual Wall Street Journal wanted wanted a comment. And what we learned about the whole experience was that people really respond to you telling your story more and all. Because a lot of times, like, I, 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 we were just talking about how People want to hear the story. No, people think that the others want to hear the story uh, when it's all said and done, when everything is perfect, like the movie version of it. Like there's a red carpet and a hardcover book. 
And what we found out was is that people really enjoy, I wouldn't say seeing the struggle, but they like seeing you overcome the struggle. But it's like you can really appreciate someone who made it. And that's great. And you will enjoy their successes and everything. But what people really connect on a personal level is like the difficulties and how do you keep going or how do you find new ways of thinking. So what we learned like from the very beginning was to talk about our story and all of the difficulties and to find a, a, a good life to talk about. Because yeah, no one wants to hear anyone complain. That's for sure. So what you wanted to keep talking about, like what you're doing and that we found out that not only not only customers themselves, they really enjoy that, but media as well. So it's easy. It's easy to connect because at, at the end of reporters are people. It's easy to connect if you have something to tell. And what we found and how we connected to the rest of it was that it took us a while, but we found out that our struggle as both as immigrants and as a queer couple really resonated with a lot of people that we didn't think that it would. Because again, we're, we're kind of expecting that people will relate to their own problems, but the reality is that they do want to hear more about them. So what we found was that a space about talking about how, I wouldn't say difficult, but how challenging, that would probably ever work, how challenging it is to really stick to yourself, to really create a brand that expresses your values, when that's not necessarily like the most mainstream view of things, people want them. People want that. And that really, a lot. it took years, of course, it took, it took a while, but that allows us to then say, okay, if this is true, then how can we use this for good? How can we build upon this? And that's how we landed on what we're actually doing because we really think that someone very wise said the world doesn't need another good company. They said it to us. And at face value, it sounds very mean, but <laughs> it is very true. So that, that what we're building now, it goes way beyond like just cookies and it's more about like sharing each other's stories. I love that. How do you keep the stories fresh? I mean, when being in business for, you know, so long, uh, you see this with, you know, companies who have been around a long time and they're like, oh, we've kind of lost the storytelling of the company, but what's even relevant anymore? And how do we not keep retelling the same stories that everyone has already heard? I mean, how do you view that challenge to, you know, stay fresh and keep people in the loop while not overtelling maybe a story that, you know, the media's already run? That's something very interesting. And I, I had to start running the PR for us because, well, it's only the two of us. Who, so I, I learned, especially when you're an entrepreneur, there's some, always something, something new that is happening. And thankfully for us, it has been... Like, for example, the, the, what happened to us for the pandemic, that we came from Guatemala, that we did the farmer's markets for a month when we moved here. We didn't even want to spend money. We were sleeping in an air mattress <laughs> because we, we didn't know what was going to happen. Celebrities, they have reached out to us because they heard our story and they want to make uh, uh, partnerships with us or collaborations. We had Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons. That because we told him our story and it turned out that he he founded a, a, an organization called Love Loud that they help the LGBTQ youth in Utah because the rates of suicide are super high there because they're mostly Mormons. And that they get a scumwicker from the church. They build these safe houses. So it resonated with, with what we have lived. It made sense with our values. 
we ended up partying it up with them. And every time that we tell our story, like an opportunity comes and we turn that opportunity into a storytelling. And that's how you keep going. Hmm. Is it storytelling through things like the Wall Street Journal or places like that? Or are you doing it via Instagram? Because I've heard such mixed results from brands where they're like, ah, anytime working with, you know, PR or news outlets, like it's a waste of time. And then you every once in a while hear a company be like, that one actually worked, that one helped. How do you guys go about, you know, having this interest from celebrities or like I saw you have a partnership with Tori Spelling? Like, how do you get this inbound interest from these people? Actually, we we've never we we always say always take the meeting, no matter what. When you approach the media, because the media, they can be it could be scary. It could be very, very tough. But if you reach out to them from the heart and you like, I remember the first email that I sent out and, and I was not even used to this. I'm, and I was like very clear from the beginning. It's like I'm reaching out. I have no clue what I'm doing. Probably I'm skipping every protocol in PR world that I don't know. But I'm asking you from the bottom of my <laughs> mixer bowl, just tell our story, help us out to get our story there. And the reason why is because we want to go beyond cookies. We're uh, building a, a mission-driven company. We're becoming this signifier and a marker of a safe space. So when it goes beyond your products and you actually have a mission that you believe in, uh, it helps a lot. And that's what happened with Tori Spelling, for example. She heard our story. She reached out. She loved the cookies, the brand. And when we told her that we were becoming the signifier of a safe space and what it meant, she was immediately was like, guys, let's do something together. I would love to be involved in something like this. And someone asked me, what, what's the scariest place on earth that you've ever been? And I thought about the first day of school. When you're a little kid, you don't know what to expect. You, everything is new. You don't know what you are, who you are. And I came out of the closet when I was 30 years old. I picture myself back in that same first day of school. What would it mean for me to see a, another little kid taking a Wunderkex cookie outside of his lunchbox? And just because he did it, that meant that I was safe around him, that I could be myself around him. And that would have been a life changer for me. Just knowing that we're building a company that it's, it's achieving that and it's giving that to, to the world, especially right now that it's so needed. It's something that for us is priceless. And we understood along the, the way that it was not only that right now it's our time to tell our story, but we need to start hearing and letting people tell their stories because everybody needs a safe space. Everybody needs a different safe space. Your safe space is not the same one that I need, but I need to understand. I need to know your story to understand how can I provide you your safe space and you can feel comfortable around me. That's beautiful. So, so that's something that we really, really believe. And building a mission-driven company is not easy, but it's a fight that we are learning how to fight it. And someone told us, it's ironic how... To start putting people in safe spaces, you need to put yourself in an unsafe space. And, and it has been the case, but I mean, we have done it so far and we're very happy with the, with the decision that just to ask for a cultural change. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, 
consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. So tell me more about these safe spaces. I mean, what does that look like? I want to hear about the work you guys are doing in that area. What are you building? What's that going to look like? Yeah, let's start back with how we started. Like we came from Guatemala, which is a very conservative country, a Catholic country. Like we both went to all boys Catholic schools. So you can imagine that it was not easy. And we came to Austin, which is like the most liberal bubble we can imagine between Texas, which is rather conservative. And for the first year or so, we started like feeling super free. Like people were nice to us. People were welcoming. People were excited about, oh yeah, and we're so happy that we're here in many, and they expressed that in many ways. And we started the problem with that. I mean, it was great, of course, and we we're super grateful. But what we noticed a couple of years down the line was that we were getting comfortable. We were like, oh, the, all the gay discrimination issues, the homophobia in the world is done because Hans and Luis are comfortable here in Austin, Texas. And it kind of, it was like a bucket of ice water when the, well, it, first it was like the law about the bathroom, the whole thing in Utah. Then there was the don't say gay bill in Florida and like many, many things. And the last drop for us, and it was like a really, you know, a bucket of ice water was that they passed a law in Guatemala outlawing gay marriage, which it was out loud anyway, but they decided that it was very appropriate to do the whole performance theater of, like, the political theater of passing a law sing- signaling this. So at that point, we're like, okay, how is it possible that coming from where we come from, is this, it's so easy for us to forget about all of this with our experience that we're very fortunate, and I don't, I, I think it's very important not to like not to play the victim. So in our case, it was not a violent situation, the type of discrimination we suffered, but that is not true of everyone. But it was just, it was tough. And we forgot, we got so comfortable. And then we started like talking to other people and thinking about this. And the truth is that people in New York, in LA, in Austin, in Miami, in all of those like big cities, big places in the US, they probably think the same because we have forgotten. So can you imagine like say, white woman, 25 years old, has, was born and raised in the Bay Area, she probably is not really aware, one, one of what's happening outside of her bubble, and two, on how powerful she is and how much she can do to actually help. So with that in mind, that's when we started like, talking about the safe spaces and talking about like who is our audience and who we're talking about. And we're not talking to, we don't need to explain to gay men what a safe space is and how a safe space is needed, even if some of us kind of forget from time to time. But we need to remind all of these people who are allies, who are not actually living and seeing it, we need to remind them of how powerful these things are and how powerful 
not you don't have to go and do big things like just a gesture like you know for instance and this happens for pride if someone is wearing a rainbow flag t-shirt and pride and you know that they're an ally so what we found out and the thesis we're basing what we're building is is that we treat food and beverage brands the way we used to treat fashion as a signifier of who we are if you are a, star- a starbucks person and you put your starbucks drink on instagram that says very different things about you than if you are a independent coffee shop and you put that picture but we'll do it in a way we'll say who we are to what we eat and what we consume so there's an opportunity to harness that and use it for good and to become not only oh the cookies yay cookies i'm gonna su- so you're not supporting the cookies because it's like a own company which is great and please do it like supporting your own companies god knows we need it but it is about you yourself using them to signal who you are so but so it's not only okay i am this spirit or i'm really into perfect coffee but saying i am an ally this is a safe space so if you see me carrying a bundle because you see me wearing the pink cap carrying a box then you know who this person is and that is a big opportunity not only of course to signal your values and i think that the end consumer is is two ways on, on one side the consumer the, the person who actually bought the cookies is using them for this purpose and it's right because he wants to express himself but also for the rest of us when we're liking okay so i know who this person is so i can connect with this person i can be myself i can be free and the other thing so, so that's the first part of it and the other part is that cookies and sweets in general we make them into rituals so you can think of uh, a birthday cake or you can think of baking grandma grandma's cookies or going for ice cream on a saturday with your dad those are special moments and we use them for special purposes to mark occasions and to have conversations so that's the for instance that is the time when we say to each other that that we, we love each other like oh in these little moments so with those two things then then we get to build like this symbol of a safe space and then we get to use it not only to say who you are, but to actually welcome and start these conversations about the need for these spaces. And where that landed us, what so these safe spaces are not only for gay men, which is our particular experience. These safe spaces are for everyone because I really like people talk about like the oppression Olympics. Like everyone has a different level, and it's not a competition of who of who is the more oppressed. But we all suffer, and it's very easy also for us as gay men, it's very easy to say, oh, straight men, white straight men are so privileged, they don't need this. That is not true. They need it in a different way, and that is important that we just open the door and let them make the most out of it. So that's the whole idea behind Mundurkis, and that's how we're building. Oh, that's great. I'm really excited to watch you all build that out and see where it goes. I definitely know why you're having all this interest from people, and yeah, that's really cool. So. I would love to hear some advice for anyone who's outside the U.S. and they're thinking about coming to build. I mean, what would you say to them today? I'm just trying to put myself in your guys' shoes. Coming from Guatemala, used to maybe a more retail environment, like you said, not even thinking about how to ship something. Coming here and all of a sudden having to move very quickly into this e-commerce world. Like, what would you tell someone who's thinking about coming in that same path? The first thing that I would say... And I see this in a lot of people that when they come here, they think that just coming here, there's dollars in the trees and they just grow there and it's very easy money. And that's a huge mistake. It is true that there's more opportunities uh, here, 
but you need to work for them. You actually need to work. And that, like, it might surprise you, but that will come to a surprise to a lot of people. But actually, the opportunities are there, but you need to work for them. So you, if you work hard, you can make it here. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough market because it's a huge market. And for for example, we understood when we came here, we understood really fast that we had the bakery back in Guatemala. So we used to do pies, cakes, brownies, banana bread. We did everything. And when we came here, the first couple of weekends, we brought everything with us to the farmer's market and people started getting confused and they didn't understand our brand. And we started doing a lot of market research with them. We learned super fast that here in America, you need to start building your name and you need to start to do doing one thing and do it the best way that you can. You need to be the best at it. Once you manage to do that and to convince people that you could do that, you can start spreading a little bit more, but you need to focus on one thing. So that would be my advice. Wow, I love that. Hans, anything from you? Yeah, the other thing is that um, it took us a, it was hard to figure out what the proper way of doing these things. And what I would say is you need to read a lot and go into the deepest places of the internet because all the information is there. And there are many ways that you can like do this type of thing where you find yourself in a different place. But what I would say, like, it's doable and there are many opportunities, but you need to be very willing to go through a very difficult period. And I wish, I kept saying when we first came, like, I'm, people tell you that it's hard, but they cannot tell you hard how, in what manner, and it's going to be different for everyone. And I say, it's, I mean, I, I see it myself right now, and it's like, I don't know what we're thinking. It has been the right of our life, and we're super grateful for everything. But I think that a lot of people have this idea that it's a better process and it is most certainly not. When it's what we cultivated is very rewarding, but it's been a very tough road. So you need to be willing to put the work and the rewards are there for sure. Yeah, I love that. Well, Hans, Louise, this has been an awesome interview. Thank you all so much for coming on here and sharing your amazing story. Where can people find out more about Wonder Kicks and try it out? Yeah, our website is www.wunderkeks.com. That's W-U-N-D-E-R-K-E-K-S. And our social media, it's at wunderkeks underscore ATX on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. And you can find us there. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Great meeting you. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. listeners thanks for tuning into this episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did if you haven't already please subscribe rate and review this podcast it helps spread the word and i would greatly appreciate it see you next time Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.